there, but we're making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, if you're, uh, if you're visiting this morning, and we're up to the, the place where Jesus addresses uh, the matter of divorce and, and marriage. Hear God's word from Matthew 5. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. And then Matthew 19, starting at verse 2. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and commits and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you know that there is an entire book of the Bible about an unfaithful uh, woman? About an unfaithful wife? It's, uh, you remember the book of Hosea. God speaks to the prophet Hosea. And he commands Hosea, go, go and marry this woman, this unfaithful woman, Gomer. And even after you marry her, she's going to be unfaithful. She's going to cheat on you. Even after she has children, she's going to be unfaithful. She's going to cheat on you. And yet go and win her back. There's even a time where Gomer has turned to prostitution. And God tells Hosea to go and pay the price for her, to buy her, but bring her home. Bring her home to her husband. Bring her home to her children. And be with her. Remain with her, even though she is unfaithful. Why? Why would God say these crazy things, these surprising things? because he's trying to give us a picture of his relationship with his people. 
The way that we constantly look to other things, like a kid in a candy shop thinking, that will make me happy. That will make me satisfied. I'll finally find joy if this, that, or the other. And yet God never gives up on his people. God constantly pursues them and brings them back, brings them home, like the prophet Hosea. even when we are unfaithful. He does this because he knows that marriage is a picture. Marriage is a picture of God's relationship to his people. God's love towards us, even when we're unloving, even when we mess up. God's love never stops toward us. Jesus is picking that up. And Jesus has his views about marriage and what it means. And yet that's the thread that runs its way through all of Scripture. That a great marriage doesn't just point to itself as saying, this is marriage, this is what it's all about, but it points to the God who created it. It's a bigger picture of Christ and the church, his bride. So we're going to dig into the text a little bit. We're going to see that according to Jesus, um, marriage protects. Marriage protects, especially the vulnerable. Marriage is a serious thing. It's not to be entered into lightly. And marriage is a picture of God's grace. Marriage protects, marriage is serious, and marriage is God's grace. But just, just as we did last week, I think uh, there's a couple of caveats because, you know, anytime we're talking about marriage and divorce and these sorts of things, these are hard topics. These are difficult things. And many of us bring hurts and wounds to the situation, whether it was something that we were involved in, whether we were the one that, that betrayed, we were the one that left, we were the one, um, or whether we were the one that, that was left and we were hurt whether we experienced it in our own marriages or as the children of divorce, many kinds of human situations. Even, we might even come to this situation and come to this morning with desires to be married, and yet we're not. With the, with the desire to not be single anymore, but to enter in, and yet it's not that season for us yet. But I want to communicate that, you know, marriage is a huge, huge thing. Jesus is very, very serious about it. And yet, it's, there's also so much hope there. Hope for what it can be and hope for this picture that it can show to, to those around us. So the first thing Jesus says is that marriage protects. Marriage protects. And it protects especially the vulnerable. There's a lot in this, uh, these couple of verses that you have to understand what was going on in that world and why Jesus was, was saying these things. In the, in the message, Eugene Peterson brings these out a little more. This is kind of a, a dynamic translation of the text. But what he says is, is this. Listen to these words. Verse 31. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. 
Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. We capture, we capture more of the meaning in that way because at that time, people in the, in the synagogue, in these religious community, they would come to their rabbi and they would say, you know what? I'm really kind of getting sick of my wife. She's not really pleasing to me anymore. Would you, would you grant me a divorce? They knew they had to come to their pastor or their rabbi to get you know, a, a legal divorce. And the rabbis would do it. The rabbis would do it with hardly any reason at all. And then, you know what? Human beings, this, you know, these being male-female relationships, they, they'd make up again like a year later. And they'd want to get remarried, get back together. Hey, we're both single. Let's just get back together. And Jesus was saying, you, you can't do that. You can't just send her off and make her, make her destitute, make her vulnerable, and then change your mind again six or 12 months later and, and pick back up again. Deuteronomy 24 says that, you know, if she's with someone else, it's, it, it's, it's over. Who was the victim? Who was the victim of all this, of these men, you know, changing their minds and these men following their lusts and that sort of thing? The women. The women at that time. They were the vulnerable ones. Because in Jesus' time, they had little protections. Uh, verse 31 in the message, you know, it, it mentions her legal rights, but her legal rights were so minimal. There was a very strict and traditional practice. You leave your family of origin, and there's a process for all of that. And then if your husband sends you away, what are you going to do? You're destitute. You can't be in his home, and you can't be in your parents' home. So a lot of women had to turn to the world's oldest profession just to provide for themselves. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't send them off. If we can see one thing from, from the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God cares for the vulnerable. That God cares for the people that are cast out, that are sent away. That God cares for the people that are marginalized. So Jesus is saying, you, you can't do that. What about thinking about it in our own world today? I mean, who is, who's made vulnerable in the case of divorce? Well, women, women are. Women are certainly. That, that hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. But men, men are also made vulnerable in that situation. And it's painful for, for everyone. I've counseled men that have been physically abused by their wife, and there's all kinds of trauma and hurt and pain that comes through. But also children, children of divorce. And many of us carry that around with us even decades later, the hurt of that, the pain. And while Jesus is all about redemption, Jesus is all about healing, um, He's also very honest. He's honest on the front end about the results of divorce and the pain that it causes. And he's saying, do everything in your power to avoid it. You know, examine the hardness in your own hearts and let God's love soften your heart. Because Moses let you guys do this 
because your hearts were hard, but that's not how it was. That's not God's intention. Marriage, Jesus is saying these things to protect the vulnerable, to help us. It's, it's wisdom. Next, Jesus talks about the seriousness of marriage. And when he teaches on this, especially in Matthew 19, you see this because the, the, the disciples respond. I mean, they, they are stunned. If this is the picture of marriage, then, then who, it's better for us not to marry. Why should we even get married, God? The, the, one of the interesting things about this is I was thinking, you know, Jesus is preaching the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, and somehow the disciples didn't catch it at the time because <laughs> he says it again 14 chapters later, and they're, like, and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If this is what's going on, did they not hear him say that? Um, what Jesus does in explaining that is he goes, he goes not just back to Deuteronomy 24 where Moses, where Moses gives that, which was helping, really helping the vulnerable at the time, but he goes all the way back to Genesis 2. And he says that that's God's intention for marriage. That a man will leave his household, be joined together with his wife, and that they'll be one flesh. That there'll be one flesh, you know, one flesh physically, one flesh in their friendship to each other, that they'll be best friends, that they'll be companions. Uh, Dan Allender has a book called Intimate Allies. So they're intimate with each other, but they're on the same team. They're allies against the forces of evil in the world. They're one flesh emotionally. They come together and they support each other. Jesus was saying all these things because the rabbis, the people that were supposed to be pastoring and shepherding the people, they, they were letting it go. They weren't taking it serious. Uh, we think about in our own day, um, people, uh, people get divorced for any and every reason. There's, you know, there's no fault divorce, and people just sort of change their minds and, and walk away. That's not, that's not anything new. Uh, men, because it was only men that could do that in this time, they would come to the rabbis, and the rabbis came up with lists. You know, especially the Pharisees, they were, re they were really good at obeying the letter of the law and completely ignoring the spirit of the law. So they took this thing in Deuteronomy 24, and they made themselves hypocrites. You know, because Moses said, if a woman displease, displeases then, you know, he can send her away. Well, they started to take a really loose definition of displeases. The three most ridiculous I found were these. First, if your wife burns the bread, you can divorce her. So she's not a very good cook. She's not paying as much attention to the, to the fire as she, as she should be. You can divorce her. You can divorce her for that. Or if she talked so loud that the neighbors could hear her, now, how, how loud do you think you'd have to talk in a, in a house without, like, any real walls or any modern construction? I mean, and if, if uh, I know I talk pretty loud, I definitely would have been sent away <laughs> at that time. If your neighbors can hear you talking, then, you know, you, you, can, you can send her away and no problem, you did, you did right by her. 
Third, if the man found another woman more beautiful than his wife, he was allowed to divorce her legally. Um, it's, it's ridiculous how much they're, they're missing the mark. And it's ridiculous how, um, how not seriously they're taking marriage and entering into this so lightly. About, uh, about 16 years ago, um, I had fallen in love with Lily. We'd fallen in love with, with each other. And we had been dating for about a year. And I decided to take her dad out to dinner to kind of have the talk. And I just gushed. I mean, you guys know me. I'm a romantic. Uh, you know, I sat him down. I said, I'm in love with your daughter. I want to be with her forever. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I've got big plans. I'm going to take her to New York City next week. I'm going to take her out on the most romantic dinner that anyone's ever seen. I'm going to take her to the top of a skyscraper. I'm going to take her out to dinner. I'm going to take her in this horse carriage in Central Park. And I bought a ring. And I'm going to get down on one knee and I'm going to propose and we're going to go to this coffee shop that she loves from her favorite movie. And it's just, I went on and on and on. And, and at one point, I, I looked up. And I looked across the table at my, uh, at my future father-in-law. And I realized that he was not impressed. He was not as excited about this whole plan and this whole courtship as I was. And he started to talk to me about all this practical stuff. I mean, he was like, he, start, he, asked, he asked me if I had a decent job. I'm like, well, you know, I'm a part-time worship pastor at a church plant. Does that, does that count for, for anything? And he was asking me, you know, all these, all these practical things, like if I had a place for us to live. You know, I had some ideas of places that we could move into. He even asked me if I had health insurance. I, that one I did. That one I did have actually. That one I I, I took care of. Uh, but it sort of felt like, hey man, stop 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 raining on my parade. We're in love here. We're in love. We're, we'll we'll be fine. We don't have to worry about all this real stuff. We're in love. And though I didn't want to hear it at the time. It was really good for someone to be serious with me, for, me to, for him to put my feet back on solid ground and say, how is this all going to look? What is this going to look like? Because love doesn't pay the rent. Entering into marriage is a huge, lifelong commitment. And it's not to be entered into lightly. It's not to be entered in on a whim or because we think we've fallen in love with someone one week and out of love with them the next week and all these things. We spend so much time planning the reception, planning the party, and hardly any time preparing for marriage. And that's a recipe for disaster. People don't know how to work on their conflicts. They don't enter into that. But Jesus is serious about marriage. He's serious about marriage because he knows the potential that there is to show the world, to show the world how much Christ loves the church. To show the world, you know, to bring it back to Hosea, Hosea and Gomer. I mean, this story about 
even when we mess up, God's love doesn't stop. God keeps pursuing us even when we're unfaithful. Picture, picture a big museum. You know, uh, it, it's nice during COVID that a lot of museums have uh, opened up their websites and shown so you can go to the Met in New York or the Louvre in Paris and you can see these priceless paintings. It got me thinking, you know, what if, what if our marriages were, were on display? You know, on display for millions of people to come through and look at the walls and see this couple, that couple. What would they see? What would they notice about our marriage? What would be the message that we're sending you know, to, to younger generations or to people that are, that are hanging on by a thread? People who are, whose marriages are in trouble. What's the message that, that, that we're sending? You can make it. You can get it through. God is committed to you. God believes in your marriage. God has a very big vision of marriage. (laughs) You know, God's vision of marriage is not just to say, hey, what a great couple. This is wonderful. They have a great marriage. The vision of marriage is to say how great God is. How powerful he is that he can redeem any situation. No matter the trouble we find ourselves in, no matter our feelings, no matter the drama, the ups and downs, that in a culture that very much says, you know, at the first hint of trouble, get out of there. Protect yourself. Me, me, me. In a culture where all that's going on, Jesus says, I am with you always. I am committed to you. And I help you grow through the trials. Anything that happens, God uses it to make us more like Jesus. In a culture that says, you know, just, just give up, this is hard, Jesus says, I bring healing. I bring peace. I bring restoration. My friend's parents, when he was a little kid, they got divorced. They went their separate ways, and it broke his heart. And they were apart for many years, but they worked on themselves. Most importantly, they recommitted themselves to Christ. And they got right with God, and they realized, you know what? If God has forgiven me of so much, maybe I can forgive my ex-husband. Maybe I can forgive my ex-wife. And after five years, they got remarried. And it's been a wonderful marriage. They've been together for 20 years now. God is in the business of that. He's in the remarriage. He's in the recommitment. You know, and you don't have to get divorced just so you can get remarried. Have a recommitment ceremony. Dedicate yourself to each other. Dedicate yourself before God to say marriage is a serious work because that is where the Holy Spirit works on me. That's a, that's a beautiful picture of a marriage, you know, that's on display. Marriage protects the vulnerable. Marriage is serious, serious business. And third, marriage is grace. You know, Jesus says that 
The only legitimate reason to divorce is, uh, the word used is porneia, and it means sexual immorality. It means that one person's unfaithful. And, I mean, Eugene Peterson kind of captures it in there. He's saying that if, if, you've already, if you've already broken that bond and you've joined yourself sexually to someone else, you're essentially divorced. You've made that bond with someone else. You've broken that. And that's, you know, that's how serious sex is. And we, we discussed that last week. You want to go back and watch that again. But adultery is not an unforgivable sin. It's not. It's not an unforgivable sin. If you repent, if you realize the weight of what you've done and the people that you've hurt, you can be forgiven. If you throw yourself on God, you can be forgiven. And broken bonds can be remade and restored. And healing is possible in Jesus. Healing is possible because because God's grace is all over our lives. And this is what Jesus came to do, right? That the sins that we commit inside of marriage, outside of marriage, before marriage, whatever the situation is, all of those sins have been forgiven on the cross by Jesus. And his blood flows for us. And it washes us clean so that we're made new so that we can live as people that are thankful. And we can forgive others when we realize how much we've been forgiven. I know, I know that God's grace is all over my marriage. And he has given me far more than I deserve. And if I could go back and talk to my 24-year-old self sitting across from my father-in-law, I would just be so shocked at all God would do that all the times that I messed up, God was faithful, and that he wants to use my marriage on display, not to say, wow, Pete and Lily have a good marriage, but to say Pete and Lily serve a good God and a great God. And no matter what we've been through, no matter if we've been through divorces, no matter if, if we've committed adultery, all these things, God's grace is for us. and He offers us a new start. Let go of that guilt and that shame and, and live into a new future. God's grace on my, on my marriage, it began on my wedding day. And I'll, God gave me a picture, and it's one that I'll never forget, of, of the wedding. We were, we were married in this beautiful old church in Seattle, and there was some steps leading up to it, and we were getting into the car. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's so amazing. When you get married, it's like, it's, it's like you're a rock star for the day. I mean, people were cheering for us. They were cheering for us as we got into the car, just because we got married. And they are waving at us, you know, see you at the reception, see you, you know, see you in 10 minutes, whatever, applauding. And, and I looked up out of the corner of my eye, and I saw this couple, Bill and Barbara, and they were part of my church growing up. I had known them for about 12 or 15 years. And when I met them, they were just an amazing couple, just so bright and fun and attractive. You know, they were in their, in their 40s at that time. They're probably, you know, my age. And they just were so much fun. But uh, by the time that uh, my wedding came around, Barbara had been diagnosed with brain cancer. And she had been under treatment for about nine months at that time. 
And if you've ever seen anybody go through that, uh, the chemotherapy just destroys your body. And so um, I could hardly recognize this, this beautiful woman, but the light, the light of Christ was in her eyes. And what was the most beautiful thing was that her husband was right behind her. And he was holding her wheelchair that she was sitting in. And he got down by her face and he was, you know, he was pointing at us and he was talking to her about us. And it was this amazing picture because I had just been in this church in front of God and in front of everybody else saying, for sicker, for, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. And it was like 10 minutes later, God was giving me this picture. Even if you go through this, even if you have to walk through cancer together, even if you lose everything, even if you gain everything, you're making this promise to your spouse. And it's just like the promise that I've made to you. And God is faithful. And that was an incredibly Christ-like thing that Bill was doing. He was pointing me to Jesus. And that has gotten me through a lot of times in my life, in my marriage. Christ's love for us, the faithfulness, no matter what's going on. Persevering. Investing emotionally. Being there for each other. Through it all. That's God's grace in a marriage. And that is, that is God's desire and his plan for all of our marriages. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can glorify you through our marriages and through our singleness. Lord, we see that all, all of those bring you glory. And all of those are part of your plan. But God, if you call us into marriage, if you call us to that, we pray that we would glorify you. I pray, Lord, for, for those that are um, thinking about marriage, for those that are entering into marriage, that you'll give them wisdom, that you'll help them to find uh, partners that are godly, that put you first, and that help them grow into the follower of Jesus you want them to be. Lord, for, for those that are single or those that have been hurt by divorce and wounded, I pray, pray Lord, for healing and for peace and for knowing that their relationship with you is the most central relationship. And God, I want to lift up to you every married couple that's here, every married couple that's, that's watching at home or whatever the case may be that we would learn how to glorify you, that we would learn how to show the world a picture of how much you love us, that in our brokenness, in our struggle, in our selfishness, that you keep your promises, that you are there for us, that you keep committed, that Lord, as we've been forgiven, that we can extend that forgiveness to everyone around us, even our spouses. Lord, your, your teaching is so difficult. These are hard words. And I pray that we can receive them in the grace that they're given, that we can live them out 
for our good and for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.